Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. So that's just a few things to remember. So there's plenty to do this week if you involve yourself. Plenty to do this week if you involve yourself. First Chronicles chapter 21. I'm going to try this again. Last Sunday tried it. I'm going to try this again. So we'll see if we can go forward. First Corinthians chapter 21 in verse number 9. I'd like to read in your hearing here today. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee. Either three years famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtake thee, or else three days, the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. For very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. This evening I'd like to endeavor to minister because of his mercy. Because of his mercy let's go to the lord in prayer right now jesus i thank you lord today god for you meeting us here today i'm grateful for that i don't want lord to take it for granted i don't lord want to be callous lord to the idea lord that you would show up lord in a service and you would make your presence known to us lord i'm grateful today lord for that probably more than anything the manifest presence of god I pray, Jesus, today, God, help, Lord, my feeble mind and, God, the tiredness of my body and my voice. God, let there be clarity, Lord Jesus, in what is said, Lord, here this evening. God, help me just to hide in the shadows of your glory, just to hide in the shadows, Lord Jesus, of your presence. God, and I will, Lord Jesus, God, be, Lord, thankful for it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen to the church say. Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Also want to say so glad to have our guests with us tonight. The house of the Lord. Good to see Charlie back there and other guests that are with us tonight. Thank you for being here. We welcome you. Amen. I want you to feel free to come and worship with us anytime. Amen. We're appreciative of your presence being here this evening. Amen. Because, because of his glory. Where David stands here currently in the scripture is that he is being approached by Gad, which is spoken of as being the seer. Gad is coming to David and offering to him three very basic options and choices. David is going to suffer punishment 
for a decision that he had made. He's going to suffer punishment for a decision he had made. And as I said a, a week or so ago, it's quite peculiar that God is, is willing and working with David enough that he is providing him choice concerning his punishment. This is a very peculiar thing, a very peculiar thing that God would allow a man a choice in his punishment by what means and even for that matter length of time that the punishment would take place there were three choices that was given David three years of famine three months of the hands of his enemies or three days of pestilence from the Lord and so David has these things and our natural minds would probably very quickly just gravitate to gravitate to the three days because well that's a shorter length of time but then you must consider who is also dealing out the punishment or what the venue is in each of these things. David is in trouble at this point in Scripture because he has sent out a census by the hand of Joab to number all of those that were in Israel. He has taken a census and he's wanting to number the number of those that are in Israel. And this was clearly that something frowned upon by the Lord. This is something that the Lord asked even of Moses that they would not do unless God wanted it done. And he gave direct instruction and prescription to Moses that if I ask of you to number the people, then those who are numbered there to bring half a shekel for the ransom, if you will, of their own soul. And so even if it was ordered by God, there was a proper means and way that it would to be done. And they were to bring a half a shekel. But here the Bible says that Satan came and stood against Israel and therefore provoked David to number Israel. I don't know exactly what got into David in order to do this. I mean, up leading up to this point of time, David is, is becoming quite successful, quite successful in the kingdom, quite successful in the things that he is doing for the Lord. Uh, he is just recently, he and his men, all of those Philistine giants have finally been wiped away from the land and so perhaps he's feeling pretty good about this but in that day customarily in that hour a man wasn't really supposed to have a right to count or number anything unless it was something that belonged to him a man only numbered what was his a man only numbered what belonged to him and so David was stepping over line here because by his own decree having the children of Israel numbered it's almost as though he was feeling like Israel belonged more so to him than they did God. And so he's transgressing in this matter. As a result of that, then God is ill. He's ill pleased. He is upset. Uh, he's not proud about what David has done. And so with the crime, there must be a punishment. And God sometimes will delay it and sometimes it will come instantaneously. But nevertheless, punishment of some means is going to come. And so that is what David is facing at this moment in time. And so he's pondering, he's pondering the, 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 the uh, choices that is given to him. What, what am I going to choose from these three? Uh, maybe perhaps he started thinking about three months at the hand of his enemies. Now imagine this for a moment. The Bible states it in such a way that if he was at the hand of his enemies, that their sword of his enemies would overtake him. That would be a position totally different than what David was used to. David was a man of war. He was a shedder of blood. He, he was known as the victor, not the victim. 
He's used to ladies singing his praises as he comes back from battle, having been successful. You realize how, how greatly this would hurt the ego of a man who was known to be a warrior to come back and have to admit that he was defeated where in his lifetime he was normally the defeater. And so he's pondering all of this in his mind. Not only that, David has history. History that he can found his decision upon. He knows the person that preceded him, King Saul, that King Saul and his boys that were killed on Mount Gilboa. He understands how the enemy treats the ones that they overcome. Even King Saul, after he was sore wounded by an archer, the Bible says he was asking his armor bearer, why don't you take my life? Finish me off. He says, lest those uncircumcised Philistines come and abuse me. He says, I don't want to fall into the hand of the adversary because they don't just kill their foe. They mutilate and abuse their foe. And I don't want to subject myself to that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that whenever Saul was taken and he took his own life because he didn't want to be abused by them, but even after he was dead, these, these vicious adversaries, these vicious enemies didn't leave it well enough alone. The Bible says that they came and their, their conduct was this. They would strip those who were slain. The enemy would come and strip those who were slain. The Bible says that they came and they cut off the head of Saul. They cut his head off and they took his head. They stripped his armor and they took both his head and his armor and they went through the cities and towns that, that, that belonged to them and they boasted about their victory. They took his head and they placed it in, in the temple of Dagon. They took his armor and they placed it in the temple of Asherah. Amen. And then the Bible says they took the body that's without the head and they take that and they nail it to a wall for a spectacle of all the people to see they humiliated they humiliated their dead and so David's probably thinking you know I really don't want three months of being overtaken by the enemy because the enemy he won't just overtake and kill some but he'll dismember them he'll humiliate them he will do all these things he will strip them I don't think I want to fall into the hands of the enemy someone say amen Yet again, though, when we begin to consider this, he's thinking three years of famine. Three years of famine. You know what? According to the timeline, it had not been that long ago that David had just went through. Three years of famine. Not too long ago that happened. And then if he starts to remember the stories of generations before him, he's going to remember back in the days of Joseph's life Whenever there was famine in the land and the famine brought nations to their knees. The famine of Egypt caused people to buy, amen, the goods and the harvest of Egypt. And when they ran out of money, they started giving their cattle and their livestock to Egypt. And when they ran out of cattle and livestock, they started giving their own souls to Egypt. And so David is remembering famine in a land has the ability of bringing a whole nation down. It, it has the ability of enslaving a whole nation. So I really don't know if I want three years of famine as my punishment because that could bring the whole nation of Israel to their knees. 
Someone say amen. So I'm not, I'm not certain of this. I'm not certain of that. And so then he starts to think three days suffering at the hands of God. If he were to begin to think about what God could do in a moment. Consider it, if you will, for a moment, what God can do in a moment. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira keep back part of that which they sold to get credit that they gave all. And the Lord has their lives taken in an instant. That's what God can do in a moment. In a moment, a man, Uzzah, that's leading the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and going before it, comes to the threshing floor and the Ark begins to the oxen stumble and the ark begins to shake. And the Bible says he puts out his hand and he touches it. And the moment that he does, God takes his life. That's what God can do in a moment. The Bible says there's a young man by the name of Onan. His brothers had died. It was his responsibility to raise seed unto his deceased brother's name. But the Bible says he did not carry out that act of raising seed unto his brother's name. And whenever he did not fulfill that responsibility, the Lord took the life of Onan and he died. That's what God can do in a moment. The Bible says there was a group of Abiram and Dathan and Korah that were rejecting and coming against the rulership and the authority of Moses and in a moment God had the earth open up and swallow all of those of Dathan and Abiram and, and, and Korah in a moment because they had strove not just against the men of God but they had strove against God. That's what God could do in a moment. Someone say Amen. But while David is pondering everything that God could do, how he didn't want to fall to famine, a nation could be enslaved. He didn't want to fall to the hands of his enemies. They mutilate us. They dismember us. Amen. They treat us poorly. And he begins to think about what God can do in a moment as he's considering all this of the past and the history. I believe David starts to think of his own history in the Lord. And he says, you know what? Out of the three, out of the three, I think I would rather suffer at the hands of God if there's going to come any punishment I'd rather be vulnerable to the hands of God because he says for very great are his mercies he says God can take a life in a moment God can open up the earth in a moment God can do whatever God wants to do but there's an aspect of God that I am familiar with there's an aspect of God that I am acquainted with I know God to be a merciful God I know God to be a gracious God and so I'm leaning upon the mercy Someone say amen. David, looking over the history of his life, this whole numbering scenario happened after he had his affair with Bathsheba. This is happening after.
after all of that. Amen. And David must be thinking in himself. Amen. I need to just go for the Lord. I need to go for God. Because whenever I sinned with Bathsheba, whenever I committed adultery, whenever I killed her husband or had her husband killed, when all of that happened, when all of that took place, and Nathan came to me and he confronted me about being the man that did all of that, I'm David. I'm the man. I know the law. I know the statutes of God. Folks, whenever you read Psalms 119, which is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, all you see through Psalms 119 is David talking about he loves the law. He loves God's statutes. He's acquainted with them. He meditates upon them. So David knows the law. And if David knows the law, he knows in the book of Leviticus that the Bible says that if a man is to commit adultery with his neighbor's wife, that man, the adulterer and the adulteress, should die. Right? But in this scenario, when he's talking to Nathan, God tells him, the sword's never going to depart from your family. The child that's going to be born from this union, it's going to die. And the Bible says that David repented and told Nathan, I'm the man, I did it. And Nathan said, you shall not surely die. You know what David experienced in that moment? He experienced the mercy, the mercy. He was there for punishment. He was there for punishment. But he experienced the mercy. I believe it's in this time now when he's flubbed up again. I believe it's in this time now that he's done against God again. He's remembering. Oh, I know what God can do. I understand though, but because of his mercy. He's saying, you don't understand. I shouldn't even been alive to make the mistake I'm making right now had it not been for the previous mercies of God. And so I'm leaning on that mercy that I experienced before. To take place again. Great artists. Not three years of famine. Not three months of the enemy. Just give me three days with God. Watch this. David understands the law. He understands. He understands all this stuff. He understands the plan of the tabernacle. He understands the tent of David that he himself constructed. That only had the Ark of the Covenant encased in that place. He knows what was spoken in Exodus when the tabernacle was first ever formed. And it goes through all the description of the size and the dimensions of the, ta- of, of the Ark of the Covenant. And how there was what on top of it? A mercy seat. And cherubims on either side. Wings touching, looking down at the mercy seat. That God spoke to Moses in that instance in Exodus 25, 22. And said, and there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee. From above the mercy seat. You know what David had etched in his mind? David opted for God's punishment. Because God's presence coincides with God's mercy. He said, Moses, my presence, it'll be found right above my mercy. 
My presence can be found right above my mercy. And so David's saying, I'm not going to opt for man. I'm not going to opt for natural disaster. Just give me the presence of God. Because God's presence just hovers right above his mercy. What I'm saying tonight is this. David was so confident in his God that even if he was going to suffer, he said, I'd rather suffer in the hands of my God than suffer anywhere else. I want to tell you tonight, friend, if you are in such a way that punishment is on its way to your home or your household, don't leave the church. Don't leave the church. Stay in the church. Stay in his presence. Because when you're in the presence of God, you are in close proximity to his his mercy. My God. Please don't let the devil talk to you and say, well, I messed up. I'm leaving. No, no, no. You need to stay and say, let me fall into the hands of a living God because his presence hovers over his mercy. How great are the mercies of the Lord. <laughs> Someone say Amen. We need to consider this for a moment. The mercy of the Lord. The Bible tells us concerning the mercy that God is plenteous in mercy. The New Testament describes it like this, that God is Rich in mercy. Lot said in the book of Genesis that God even magnified his mercy. That his mercy, read it over and over again in the Psalms, is from everlasting to everlasting. They said that his mercies are new. Every Morning, his mercy is spoken of as being great. Jacob, on his way back to mommy and daddy's house, on his way back to a brother that had been infuriated to the point of wanting to murder Jacob, when he left, when he's crossing back over the river, on his way back to mom and dad's house, he said, I testify this, that I'm not even worthy of the least of all of his mercies because the last time I passed over this river, I just had a staff in my hand. But now that I'm going back home, I have wives, I have children, I have livestock. I'm not even worthy of the least of his. Someone say hallelujah. Look at it. I might read it. I think I will. Look at Lamentations. The book of Lamentations chapter number three. The book of Lamentations, let's just make a little sense out of it here very quickly. You've got to bear in mind that what Jeremiah is writing here in the book of Lamentations is almost like a funeral poem or dirge, if you will. He's bemoaning, he's crying, he's wailing the destruction of the city 
of Jerusalem that had happened and taken place by the Babylonians. He had echoed the cry that it would happen and it happened. And he is bemoaning, amen, all of this that had taken place and had happened. You all got a little time for me to read a little Bible to you tonight? Lamentations chapter 3. Look at it. Just walk here with me as I just, if you've not had the Bible read to you here in a while, just listen. We're going to read the Bible. The Bible says, I am the man that have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath he hath led me and brought me into darkness but not into light surely against me he has turned he turned his hand against me all the day my flesh and my skin hath he made old he hath broken my bones he hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail he hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old he's talking about God he's talking about God he hath hedged me about and I cannot get out he hath made my chain heavy also when I cry and shout he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bare line in way, as a line in the secret places. He hath turned me aside my ways, pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. See, Babylonians coming was, was, was nothing more but the punishment of the Lord. He hath bent his bow. He has set a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter my reins. I was in derision to all the people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He has covered me with ashes and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forget prosperity. I said my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. He says remembering mine affliction and my misery the wormwood and the gall. He says my soul hath been still in remembrance and is humbled in me this I recall to my mind therefore I have hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion Jeremiah has given a long list. We've suffered of the punishment of God. God's hand has been heavy upon us. Gravel stones in our mouth. But there's something I remember. There's something I recall. There's something I have hope in. I remembered something. God also has mercy. And it's because his mercy. I'm alive to tell the story. It's because of his mercy. I am where I am today. You read from there forward, and it changes the tune of Jeremiah's dirge here. Changes the tune of his funeral poem and song here because he remembered. He remembered. Even in the punishment, he remembered the mercy. He says, I'm looking at everything that I'm suffering because of my deed. He said, but I'm not considered what I haven't suffered because of his mercy. Uh, 
Messiah. Honey, if we don't, if we don't watch ourselves, we can very easily sometimes just see the punishment of God and what's coming down the pike because of an improper decision or a mistake that we made. In reality, what we need to focus upon and is remember there's some things I'm not contending with in this punishment because God is a merciful God. Yes, his hand is heavy, but it's also heavy in mercy because of his presence there. The mercy is right below it. David, you suffer at the hand of man. You're not having mercy. They're going to cut your heads off. They're going to nail your bodies to the walls. They're going to parade your spoils around and boast. You won't find that in the hands of men. But you'll find it in the hands of God. So would say amen. He goes on. And even says in verse 32 of that same chapter, he says, but though he caused grief, speaking of the Lord, but those, though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. If you were, if you were turned over to the book of Nehemiah, we have a very similar thread and vein that Nehemiah picks up on here in the scripture as well of Nehemiah 9 and verse number 19. Nehemiah says this because they're at a place right now they are confessing to God of some sins that they have committed. They're trying to get back into the presence of the Lord. And he says in Nehemiah 9 and 19, speaking to the Lord, yet thou and thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way neither the pillar of fire by night to shew them light and the way wherein they should go he says you did not forsake them because of thy manifold mercies you made sure they had light by night and guidance by day you still sent the angel to help them because of your mercy he goes on to tell him when you were in the wilderness and God could have caused you to starve out there because you lacked food he still sent manna from heaven because of his mercy and whenever that you got familiar with that and began to complain and grumble about that because of his mercy he sent quail and according to the scripture the cubits it was they were three feet deep in quail he said that was because of the mercy of God. And on sundry times when you could not find water, I caused it come from a flint stone. I had a tree be thrown in the water and make bitter water sweet. And all of that was because of my... hallelujah and he's basically telling them boys for 40 years he sustained you in the wilderness for 40 years he fed you for 40 years he gave you water to drink for 40 years he put clothes on you that grew with your size and did not wear out and all of that was due to his Someone say yes. And that mercy was there because his presence was there. Because Moses was a little afraid. God, you're not going to go with us. God, if you don't go, then we don't want to go. And the Lord said, don't worry, Moses. I'm going to go. What does that mean? If you got his presence, it's hovering over his mercy. They coincide. They are interdependent on each other. Someone say Amen. Everybody say manifold. Manifold. 
manifold mercies, meaning abundant in quantity, abundant in size, abundant in age, number, rank, quality. Manifold mercies. The footnote was here as it was in Lamentations. And because of his mercies, you were not consumed. (laughs) Someone say amen. If I could just further here for a moment describe the mercy of God and why David David was so wanting to lean and gravitate toward God due to his mercy. The Bible states this. Micah, I believe it is. I'm just going to read it from the Living Translation. It's in that verses of Scripture where talking about if I fall, I shall rise. If I sit in darkness, he should be a light about me. That whole verse further goes on and says, in verse number 18, it said, Where is another God like you? Who pardons the sins of the survivors among his people? You cannot... Stay angry with your people. I like this. For you love to be merciful. Watch it now. Once again, you will have compassion on us. Look, this kind of goes tongue and groove with this morning. You will tread out our sins beneath your feet. And you'll throw them, our sins, into the depths of the ocean. He says, but you'll bless us. You'll bless us as you promised Jacob long ago. And you'll set your love upon us because you promised our father Abraham. You know what he said? You'll deal with our sin, but you'll love us. You'll deal with our sin. You'll be unmerciful to our sin, but you'll be merciful to the person. Someone say amen. Here we go. <laughs> His presence coincided with mercy, provoking David then to desire punishment three days, pestilence, sword of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, to be his choice and his decision. Because mercy and presence goes together. It is the story. Listen to me, folks, very plainly. This is the story of the Bible. Yeah. Because Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16. Hebrews 4 and verse number 16. Writer says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hmm. Throne of grace. Being used in a typical sense of that Ark of the Covenant of entering into that holiest of holies. Us. Anybody. Not the high priest. Anybody. 
whosoever will, so that they might obtain. The only way possible, the only way possible, mankind, anyone, could enter the holies of holies was because at Calvary, when Jesus gave up the ghost, the veil in the temple was written twain from top to bottom. All right? <laughs> That's open so that they might obtain mercy. Hold on, though. Hold on, though. So if that is all because of Christ, Him being a player in this, my mind begins to ponder a little bit this connection between God's presence and God's mercy. Because in Matthew 1, the Bible said there would be a child born unto Mary, and His name should be called Jesus or Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God. God with us. What's that? That's His presence. That's His presence. But Jesus going to the cross is Him being where you ought to have been. Him being where you ought to have been. Him receiving the punishment you should have been getting. What that is, Calvary, that is mercy. God's presence made available God's mercy. And now everybody can boldly enter the throne of His grace so that we might obtain mercy. They didn't realize it at first that that man came down as a carpenter's son that walked among them that they thought was just another man. But what they had was God's presence. And little did they understand the moment that his presence was manifested. Can I talk just real quick and make a little differentiate here from something? God's presence always abounds. He's omnipresent. Always abounds. But we don't recognize it until it's manifested. In reality, God's presence was always. But when Jesus was born in the manger, His presence became manifested. I know many times we say, boy, I feel, don't you feel the Spirit of the Lord? You know what we're doing? We're recognizing the manifestation of His presence. But His presence was here before it was ever manifested. <laughs> but whenever He came down, honey, into the form of that man, and God was with Him, it would only take days, years, actually, amen, to convey and to reveal that whenever they got His presence, and even before they ever recognized it, they had readily, readily available to them His mercy. And so I'm trying to tell somebody, if you're living a life right now that is just okay and right with God, and you're walking before God, and you sense His presence and His power, and you're thankful and you're grateful for that, 
that. And then somewhere along the way, you make a mistake, you sin, you fall, if you will, from grace. It's at that moment that we believe God is just going to abandon us. But what you got to wrap your mind around is when everything was good in your life and you was doing everything right in your life, you already had his presence and his mercy was there before you ever needed it. Honey, did you mess up? God's mercy was there before that day ever came. Before they needed a lamb slain for the, from the foundation of the world at Calvary, it had already been walking among them. And before it was even manifested to them, it was already there from everlasting to everlasting. It's the David said that the Lord was from everlasting to everlasting. But he also said his mercy was from everlasting to everlasting. Why? Because God's presence and his mercy, could, one does not exist without the other. Amen. If you'll stand with me. I should have died. I should have had the cat of nine tails to my back. My, my side should have been pierced. Thorns should have been placed upon my head. All of that, all of that. All of that punishment should have been to me. Because the way that I was living my life and being a sinner and being born to the sin, that, 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 that is not pleasing in the sight of God. The sacrifice of Jesus was mercy. The, simp- the most simplest definition of mercy is whenever you don't get what you did deserve. When you don't get what you should have deserved. That's what happened in the Hosanel. So David in his pondering, I messed up again. God was merciful before. He might wipe me off of the planet. Because I got things I can look back on where the severity of him was that. But there's the chance that he'll abound. In his mercy. I don't even have that opportunity. If I'm considering. Man. I don't even have that opportunity. If I'm considering the other options. He says so I'm going to bank on God. I'm telling somebody in this place tonight. You need to bank on God. And you need to vie for his presence because if you secure that presence you got his mercy after it was all said and done in three days 70,000 people that's what the Bible says 70,000 people lost their life the Bible tells us that I don't know if David knew that number I don't know. Matter of fact, I would think design and wisdom of God would almost be, David, you numbered the people. You shouldn't have done that. I'm going to subtract from your number and you won't know how many subtracted. But regardless, so there was punishment. There was. But there was 
mercy. So I can't tell you flat-footed from here tonight that if you, 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 you've done the wrong and you've did repentance and made amend, that there will not be any consequences. I know sometimes that's the way, you know, that life goes. You know, the old saying used to be is everybody goes out and sow the, sow the wild oats and then they pray for crop failure. The fact of the matter is this, though. Many times the consequences don't go away. But while you're acknowledging what are the consequences may be, you better also acknowledge that God has extended in this a hand of mercy. Oh, because of His mercy. Friend, sir, ma'am, if you bow your heads in this place tonight, you will never go wrong. We all want to choose to be blessed by the hand of God. Well, I'll tell you quite on the contrary as well tonight. You will be best fitted when you even suffer at the hand of God. Because in this life that we live right now, all the suffering that we may receive from the hand of God is laced with His mercy. (laughs) These altars are open tonight. Maybe it's somebody that's that's made a mistake or they have stumbled. You're evaluating where you are with the Lord. Maybe you already feel the heat, if you will, of consequences upon your life. I tell you, sir, ma'am, seek the face of God because His presence is hovering right above His mercy and He'll share that with you. They are plenteous. They are abundant. They are rich. They're from everlasting to everlasting. Let me tell you tonight, you need to choose the presence of the Lord because in doing so, you are selecting His mercy. Please don't isolate yourself. Please don't quarantine yourself, but fall into the hands of a merciful God tonight. Perhaps there's somebody else here tonight that through the course of this service, you've already had your time. You've already had your scenario of life where it seemed like you were struck down with, with circumstances or consequences. And maybe there's some that it's been years of a process. Even like David had suffered, the sword of the Lord has entered your family. And it seems like one thing after another, but all of a sudden tonight, a light bulb has come on and you've been like Jeremiah in Lamentations. He said, in all of this, I remember, I'm recalling, and therefore I have hope. It's because of His mercy I'm not being consumed. Woo! These altars are open here tonight. I challenge us as a church family that we come up here tonight and we acknowledge the mercy of God. We acknowledge the mercy of God. We acknowledge the times that God did not give us what we deserved. That God did not give us what we deserved. Hallelujah. Job said in the book of Job, I think it was one of his friends said in one moment even concerning Job that the Lord did not exact what you deserved. Uh, The Lord did not exact what you deserved. Honey, there are those episodes in our life that the Lord did not require. He did not exact what we deserve because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. Let's sing tonight. Come on. Somebody cry out to God. His presence is here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.